You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. My name is Craig, as Andrew said, and in this season of my life, I have the great joy of uh, leading this wonderful church called Kensington. Um, This place, Troy, is special for me because 22 years ago, God led my wife and I here to minister in this church, and I came to serve but I was served and my life really changed. And in fact, uh, 14 years ago, standing right here, uh, my wife and I were commissioned to go plant a church in New York called Communitas. And since I brought up New York, I should mention a football game today. Um, Because you're wondering about me now, you have suspicion in your heart, because are you a Lions fan or a Jets fan? And there's absolutely no question, I'm one of those pitiful Lions fans for life even from a distance the last 14 years to get my hopes up only to be dashed again. They're talking playoffs. It's like, oh, I can't believe we're doing this again, but I'm gonna believe the best. And so I'm, go Lions today. All right, yes. See, I knew I'd get some love if I started that way. So anyhow, we're gonna take a few moments to receive our offering. And so if you're with us here today, the ushers are gonna come down and pass the, uh, the plate. And uh, if you're at home uh, watching online somewhere, you know that you can see on the screen all the ways that you can give. We make it easy. Uh, the reality is that when we give together, collectively together, this is how we're able to carry forth the message that began 2,000 years ago. This is how we bring the message of Jesus into our community, into our neighborhoods, into our state, into our country, and really all, all around the world, as you're going to see uh, in the message today. So it's a wonderful opportunity for us uh, to link arms together, to join forces together, to trust God with our finances and to see the work of God um, again in our community and throughout the world. So thank you so much for being our partners in this. Well, you know, the, as Nate said, this ancient song we began with today, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. There was so much pent up expectation and anticipation 2,000 years ago because God had been silent for 500 years And about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, men like Isaiah and Micah received a word from God that one would come, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. I don't know how, you know, Nate said, uh, or Andrew said, kids, our kids are waiting for Christmas. My kids are grown, so we're past that stage. But you think when it seems like something is coming soon, but it's not coming soon enough, and you have this anxiety about it. So imagine... 700 years of waiting for someone to come that was promised by God. And so there was all this expectation. And when we look at today, as we, as we go into the message in just a little bit, um, one of the things about the coming of Jesus is that he was a savior of the world. And it's easy to think of him as savior only in terms of what happened when we die. That he's taking care of our eternity, which is great. And it's true. And that's part of the good news. But as we'll see today, there was a message for now, for here and now, that has to do with peace. And yet, as we look around the world, we see it's kind of elusive, isn't it? Peace is elusive. And so we're going to press into that Christmas story. The long-expected Jesus came, and there was a promise of peace. And so how do we find that peace? You know, there's so many metaphors that are used to talk about um, the coming of Jesus. And one that we're going to hear in this song right now is one of my favorites, because it talks about light. That God came into the world to bring light, to bring light into darkness. And when you turn a light switch on in the dark room, the, the darkness has to leave immediately. And that's the wonder of the story of the incarnation, that God with us, God coming into the world, came to bring light through Jesus. Light of the world, treasure of heaven, brilliant like the stars in the wintry sky. Joy of the Father, Reach through the darkness, shine across the earth, send the shadows to fly. Light of the world, from the beginning, the tragedies of time were no match for your love. From You saw my story and God you entered in and became one of us. Sing hallelujah. 
That was amazing. That's my hope is that because we're together today, we come to adore Jesus even more, wherever you are in your journey. Um, by the way, this is new, this little thing here. I think I'm going to come out here. You know, I think what we're doing is nobody likes the front row, and so we're coming to you. <laughs> Those of you that are in the back, maybe in the new year sometime, we're going to be all the way back there. So <laughs> if you don't want that to happen, I would say just come forward a little bit, but... Anyhow, I want to begin um, with a story. I was thinking uh, this morning about this TV show when I, I don't know, I was a young adult, maybe it was called Eight is Enough. Anybody remember that show? All right, there were six kids and parents and they were all around the table and it was all this chaos of a family of eight. I want to tell you a true story of a family of eight. Um, they were an amazing family. Everybody on the outside admired this family because of how close they were. They just loved being together. And there was chaos like there would be in a family of that size, but they really loved each other. And they were uh, followers of Jesus. They were raised to know Jesus and follow Jesus. And um, all the siblings, all six of the kids, ended up going to Christian college, to Bible college seminary, to collectively they earned 15 degrees, undergrad and graduate degrees, and all six were in ministry at one point. And they got married, so the family of eight became 14, and they started having kids. And with the kids, they became a family of 28, and then grandkids came for the parents, and so it became 34, 36. And one of the remarkable things about this family is that they would find a way every year to all get together for a week. And that's just unheard of, especially as the family gets bigger. But year after year, for decades, they would gather together for a week. And then holidays, of course, they would try to get together every other year, at least everybody. So everybody looking at this family said, this is an amazing family. They love each other, they love God, they're serving their communities, they're serving God, they're serving the world. Like there would be comments about, I wish our family was like that because there's so much brokenness and dysfunction in families today. So what an amazing family. The closest family on planet Earth until they weren't. Something happened that created a fracture in the family. And there were some initial attempts to try to resolve it and it wasn't successful and separation began and then People began to line up in the family on either side of this. And it was tragic. It got, you know, the first year that this happened at Christmas, first year there were empty chairs at the table, which spoke to the fracture in the family and the pain that was there. Weddings, invitations did not go out to some of the family members. Everything that they celebrated in the past together 
became now a source of pain. And again, all efforts to reconcile failed. You think, how could this happen? Now, I want to tell you that that's my family. I wasn't sure I was going to start sharing this because there's so much pain in it for me still. This, this Sunday, some of my siblings won't be there. My nieces and nephews. It's been going on a very long time now. And I wanted to share this because we're going to talk about Jesus is greater than the conflict in our relationships. Jesus is great enough to bring peace. And I felt I would be inauthentic to not share this with you and to say that this is not going to be a Pollyanna, just get around the campfire, hold hands, sing kumbaya, and everything's going to be okay. Because we have worked and tried, and we're not there yet. I haven't given up hope. I'm always hopeful about this, but I am sure right now, here in this room, and those of you that are with us online today, have stories as well. I mean, I wish it wasn't true, but as I talk to families, as I've lived my life, I've seen it again and again. Our family, I believe, was insulated from this. It could never happen. And then it did. And we're still in it, and it's not resolved. And so what we're going to do today is um, we're going to press into this with reality because I think this is a message we need more than ever today. Have we ever seen a time of greater polarization in our communities, in our nation, the, the, you know, politically, socially, I would say even in the church. Do you know the history, the church history uh, has brought us to the point where after Martin Luther separated from the Catholic Church, um, the Protestant movement began, which is the word what? Protest. You know how many times we protested where we have new denominations? Uh, conservative count is there's over 30,000 different denominations, and many of those represent a point in time where some Christians said, I don't agree with you on that. Well, the Bible doesn't mean that. Yes, it does. Okay, we're going to go our separate ways. And so conflict, agitation, animosity, fighting, arguing, debating, separating is just part of the human condition. We see it all through human history. We see it on the individual level, like in my family. We see it on the global level, like we see in Ukraine with Russia today. We see it all over the place. This is our story. This is a story of humanity. And, you know, I think with the uh, advent of social media, we see it even heighten more because I can sit in the comfort of my home in my easy chair with a cup of coffee and my computer or my phone, and I can vilify somebody through Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. And I, I have to con confess from my vantage point, and maybe you don't see it this way, but this is heightened so much, even among followers of Jesus. In this political climate, with everything going on in our country, that if you don't agree with me or I don't agree with you, we're going to separate and we're going to fight and we're going to say bad things in the name of Jesus. This is a message we need today. This is a message that I need today. Because this is the time of year that when we celebrate this event that occurred 2,000 years ago, a message came from God. And it was delivered by angels and it, it, to me, it's really fascinating that when, after 500 years of silence from the end of Malachi till we read the Gospels now in Matthew, 500 years where God said nothing, he sent messengers. And all the messengers that came to Mary, came to Elizabeth, came to Joseph, all began by saying, don't be afraid. Fear not. And then the shepherds, on the day that Jesus was born, appeared, uh, angels appeared to the shepherd and the first angel, and then a whole choir showed up. But this is what the angel said announcing the birth of Jesus to these shepherds. He said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, say the word. Peace. Come on, say it louder. Peace. Peace. A declaration of the angel coming after 500 years of signs saying, I came to declare, to declare a time of peace and then goodwill toward men, women, all people. He was declaring peace and goodwill was coming because of what was about to happen or it just happened, which is the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God has come to bring peace to us in the here and now, not in the by and by, not when we die, not in the future. Of course, that'll be a place of peace, but he came to declare peace on where? On earth right now. So what happened? Where is this peace? In families like mine, is there really goodwill toward all people? 
was this message really for now? Where and how can we find this peace? How can we find it a reality? And so what we're going to do is we're going to go to Bethlehem today. Um, almost literally to Bethlehem today. We're going to show you uh, in just a little bit a little bit of what we're doing as a church in partnering with someone in Bethlehem. But I want to um, just go to Matthew really quick because Matthew, uh, when he wrote his gospel account, uh, referenced Isaiah. And this is what he had to say. This is the promise. And it was an extraordinary thing that Isaiah talked about. He said, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. Speaking of Jesus now. And he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, if you don't know the history of the Bible, Jew and Gentile, this is an extraordinary, kind of ridiculous thing to say for a Jewish prophet to say. Wait, what a minute? Are you saying Gentiles? Justice for the Gentiles? He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. He's coming in gentleness. And a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Uh, I don't know how it would be possible for me to show you how extraordinary that is, except think about the people you like the least. You love the least. You think about the least, whatever that is. Um, in my Christmas message I'm giving at Clinton Township, I'm going to talk about surveys that are done every year about professions that are the least trusted. And you know what number one is? Politicians, Congress. Number two, sorry if this is you, car salesmen. Now, I don't get off the hook because clergy are in the top 10 least trusted. We're number seven, I think, this year. So imagine that um, the declaration from Isaiah that Matthew is referencing here says that he's going to bring peace and justice to car salesmen. Sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Politicians, members of Congress, pastors. It was, it was so um, disruptive to say something like this and then for Matthew to say it because that's where the animosity and the agitation was. The wars surrounding Israel, Jew and Gentile. And yet he was declaring that in this future moment, which is before us now, Christmas, he's going to bring justice to the Gentiles. He's going to bring Jew and Gentile together. And so, you know, in our imagination, Bethlehem has become a place of peace. We have these Christmas carols that talk about peace. That it's a place of peace. In fact, I grew up in Frankenmuth, and you can't live there and not love Christmas. It's actually required. If you don't love Christmas, they kick you out of the town. Um, <laughs> And so I grew up, you know, loving Christmas and Bronner's, you know, Carla Bronner and her husband are, they run Bronner's now. She was a classmate, graduated together. So I love Christmas. And their favorite song in Frankenmuth, their favorite song is Silent Night. It was composed in German, but in Austria. Um, and uh, we, I had to learn the song in German. Still knock. Would you like me to sing it to you in German? No, you don't. No, because you've never heard me sing. Really, really bad idea. But let's look at the words, familiar words of this uh, song. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. There's that word again. Sleep in heavenly peace. Calm, peace, still night, deep, dreamless sleep from another one of our hymns, A Little Town of Bethlehem. You know, that's how we've come to think about Christmas and the declaration of the news that God was bringing peace into our world and into our relationships. All is well, but is it all well? Last month, um, I had a chance to go uh, to Israel with a big group from Kensington. I see Daryl and Laura back there. They were part of the group. We spent about 11 days together, 45 of us traipsing around Israel. It was my first time to go after teaching the Bible for 40-some years to finally be there. It was overwhelming for me. Um, and it was so much not what I expected in many respects because when you read the stories and you picture it, what are you picturing? What it was like 2,000 years ago. So I, I think I thought when I got there, I'd see something like this in Bethlehem. <laughs> no, that's not what I found when I got there. In fact, I want to show you what I found when I got there. That's part of the wall that separates Bethlehem from Israel because Bethlehem is now in the West Bank. West Bank meaning the West Bank of the Jordan River. And so after the wars and the fighting and starting in 67 up to the present, they've now separated. So to leave Jerusalem and go to Bethlehem, you have to go through a checkpoint, people with rifles, guarding, protecting, making sure. And they built this huge wall, guards, towers, to keep them out. A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. 
Doesn't seem like it. So it was an extraordinary experience for me and to stand in that place and spend two nights in Bethlehem and realizing that this is Palestinian territory now. 99% of the people that live in that region are Muslim, 1% are Christians. There's mistrust, fear, animosity, occasionally skirmishes, wars, guns. It's interesting when we went into one of the gates, I don't remember which one it was, our, our guide told us that, see all those pot marks near the entrance to Jerusalem, the old city? Yeah, that's, those are bullets, bullet marks from 1984, 85, whenever the last skirmish was. But then something extraordinary happened while we were there. We met someone uh, who's a friend of Kensington. His name is Nihad. Here's a picture uh, taken um, in his church in Bethlehem, um, Emmanuel Church in Bethlehem where he serves as a pastor. So here's a man, Palestinian man, follower of Jesus, in Bethlehem, a place where this all started, bringing the message of Jesus. And I'm, I'm excited right now to share a little bit of his story with you. Uh, we, we have a video that we're going to share with you. And uh, we'll see that the, feast, the peace that was first proclaimed by the angels 2,000 years ago is still deposited there in our follower of Jesus and this small church now that is making an impact on Bethlehem. And so let's take a few moments right now to travel to Bethlehem and see what God is doing through Nehod. For centuries, the West Bank has been a geographical area of significant moments in the Jewish, Christian, and Islamic religions. It is where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob resided over 3,500 years ago. The first temple was constructed by King David and the city of Jerusalem. This area is also home to Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. In the seventh century came an Arab conquest beginning the spread of Islam. The Dome of the Rock, an Islamic shrine, was constructed on the ruins of the second Jewish temple. This all led to Jerusalem being the holy city for Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. In 1967, Israel and its Arab neighbors engaged in a six-day war where Israel gained military control. Today, most of the West Bank is controlled by Israel, while 42% is under Palestinian control. The tension is thick, and the hostility is visible. This is where God led Nihad to plant a church. My parents were nominal Christians, accepted the Lord as a little child, grew up in this small mission work with this missionary. Uh, by the age of 16, I, uh, it was on my heart to serve the Lord. I talked to the missionary. She said, uh, wait, you know, finish high school and then we'll see, we'll see what will happen. When I finished high school, uh, I said, it's still burning in my heart. So I went to uh, Germany to study Bible, uh, came back. When I came back, the Lord blessed me to be married with a young uh, lady from the church. Both of us then we left to the States to uh, study uh, graduate studies and then uh, in the Bible, theology and so on. And in 1991 came back to Bethlehem. Our hearts were here. So we came back to Bethlehem to serve the Lord. We started serving in a small church here next to Bethlehem. 92, 93, 94, 95, all these years, it was almost empty church. Uh, several times my wife had to hear my sermon and I could take the offering from her. I came to the Lord and I said, Lord, maybe you called me to the ministry, maybe not here, you know. You know that's how you talk to the Lord when you want to run away from the calling. I felt failure. Uh, it was difficult when you serve for several years, nobody comes to church. So the Lord uh, put on my heart to read the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah is about exile. So I was excited, but the Lord called me down and immediately says, who is this prophet, Jeremiah? So the Lord put my eyes from the book, contents of the book to the person. Wait a minute. He served the Lord all his life, but at the end, nobody believed him then he was a failure in our eyes because in our eyes success is in in numbers how much and how many and you know but in the eyes of god success is how faithful you were to the calling 
and how faithful you were to the place that God sent you and to the message that God gave you. So it's about faithfulness. Two years after that, in 1999, uh, I had to leave the denomination I was working with because I think they lost the vision to work with the Palestinian people. I am a Palestinian. You trust the Lord, the man. <laughs> he starts working. So we had a, started, he brought us into a group of people. As we were ministering to those few families, this, the Lord started blessing us. So in the year 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, we saw the five became 50, the 50 became 100, the 100 became 150, and the Lord was blessing us. We called ourselves Emmanuel Church. Why? Because we said we're in Bethlehem, and the name was given first in Bethlehem. He is called Emmanuel, and God is with us. The Palestinian community consists of 1% Christians and 99% Muslims. The 1% mainly, mainly most of us are in the area of Bethlehem. It can become very difficult for some because when tourism stops, for example, like now with a two-year pandemic, many got affected. So we had as a church to step in and really help some of the families. First of all, uh, give the gospel as hope in the midst of hopelessness and also give out some help for the needy families and whoever is strong enough you know to work we would send them to the farm we have a farm in the jordan valley for the church and they would stay there work and, and we'll pay them it was different ways to help support the families here on my heart is is really i always tell jesus jesus uh, <laughs> Aren't you homesick? This is the birthplace of, of Jesus. Everyone, this birthplace, you know, and sometimes you grow up in a place and then after a while you're home, you go away for, and after a while you're homesick. So I was asking him, I said, Lord, aren't you homesick? And I could hear him in the back of my mind. He said, oh, I want, I'm longing to walk on the streets of Bethlehem, to walk on the streets of Jerusalem again. And uh, All right, Lord, uh, come. He says, no, I walk through you. You are my steps. We are the salt and the light. We make the difference. We are the salt. We are the light. And, 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 and usually, light, you don't put on a light in, when, when the sun is shining. You, you, you put a candle in the sunlight, it makes zero effect. But take that same candle and put it in a place where it's dark and light it, it makes a whole difference. And that's what we tell our people. We are not to run away from darkness, we are to shine in the midst of darkness. And that's our, uh, what we, we see as Jesus said, you are the salt and the light. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's dark. Yes, there are difficult situations politically, economically, socially, spiritually. I mean, it's, it's even on a spiritual level, there's a, a spiritual warfare above us uh, in, in, in this area. This is the land of the Bible. Yes, the, the enemy doesn't want any witness here. But on the other hand, we say, well, we are light and we will not run away from the darkness. We will shine in the midst of darkness. It started here with the angels proclaiming the birth of Jesus and the birth of, of joy and peace to all mankind. Today, we, my heart is really to see it happening again from Bethlehem to the world. So I think the part of Nihad's story that speaks to me the most is when he talks about his failure, right? Like he's got an amazing story, but the part where he says he was following the call, church every week, and the only person there to receive the offering was his wife. How challenging that could be, And because I think all of us can agree that we found those moments of failure. 
but because of your gifts and your generosity towards us, we continue and able to support Nihad through that. And now we get to see where he is today. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, Adam, I had the opportunity just three weeks ago to be in Bethlehem and to be in Emmanuel Church on a Sunday to, to hear him speak and to, and to hear his heart and to see what an amazing man he is. And the one thing I will never forget is as we were parting, he reminded me of the story in Exodus 17 where Israel is in battle and Moses is up on the hill raising the staff of God above his head. And when he kept it above his head, they prevailed. But when he got tired and it, the weight began to come down, uh, they would fail. And so Aaron and Hur came alongside of him and lifted his hands up and they, they won the battle. So Neod said to me, Kensington is my Aaron and my Hur. Mm. You're helping us win the battle. And I tell you, it just went right to my heart. I embraced him and I said, Nehad, I promise you, we will be faithful to you. We will support your work here in Bethlehem. We will be Aaron and Hur to you. And so when I think about what we're talking about when we talk about year and giving for these past weeks is that this is the amazing opportunity that we have to come alongside such a man and such a ministry that is bringing the light of Jesus in, of all places, Bethlehem, where the whole story began. So I, don't, I wanna thank you, as Adam said, for your year and gift. I want you to remember when you make that gift, when you write that check, what you're actually doing is bringing the message of Jesus to places like Bethlehem. Yeah, it's quite an amazing thing. Yeah. Well, we also want to take a moment to say Merry Christmas to everybody. Yes. So we hope you have a fantastic Christmas. Hope you'll come see us on the 23rd or 24th for one of our Christmas services yeah. as well. So. Yeah, and then when we come to Christmas Day, we hope it's a time of reflection on the love of Christ and to joy with, enjoy with family uh, to celebrate God's love for us. Absolutely. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yes. Um, he is a man of not just words, but joy and light and humor and peace in, in the most hostile place I, I have ever been in my life. You could just feel it there and yet here this light is. He really is Jesus' feet walking through this city. Uh, absolutely incredible. And I just sat there in Manual Church and sitting with Nehod felt so honored that Kensington Church is actually present there through his work and through his ministry and through all that we do. Um, one of the extraordinary stories he told, just to say, so how does peace come in conflict? Well, he told a story of uh, a son of the leader of Hamas, which is a terrorist group in Gaza Strip that uh, they're, they're fearful. They're a group to be afraid of. The son of the leader escaped and gave his life to Jesus and shows up in Bethlehem and calls him at 11 o'clock at night and says, you gotta bring me in, I need to talk to you. And he eventually brought him into his home and he lived with him for several months. Learning about Jesus, learning the Bible, learning the stories, um, hiding from his family. There was, there was basically a contract on his life and then a few months into this, he disappears. And we know subsequently that his life was taken, this young man. But one night, Nihad got a call from the leader of Hamas who said, I know about you, I know where you are and your life is over. And here's how he replied. He said, well, Jesus told me someday that I'm gonna go be with him and if he wants to use you to make that happen, that's okay with me. Can you imagine that? Responding in that way? And the guy hung up the phone and that was a few years ago and they never came, came for him. So here's a man of peace. And um, we, I just wanna talk for a moment about this. We've been going through this the last uh, month or so because we wanna celebrate all that God is doing through our church and all of them are great and awesome. Our local move out groups and uh, the things that go on every week here in our Bible studies and our training of, in discipleship. Uh, but the global gets me so excited. Uh, I've gone 22 or three times to India um, through Kensington. It's, been, it's really gravitated. I've gravitated toward that. But being in Israel and seeing what's going on in Bethlehem, I just felt so honored that we get to be a part of that. And so as you consider how you might give a gift at the end of the year, um, we know that a lot of people come for our money. I get stuff in the mail all the time. I get stuff on my phone and emails. But um, if this is your church, we really invite you, if you are able to give a year in gift, to think about what you actually are doing when you give that gift. And I want you to imagine Nehad, and that those gifts basically hold his arms up for, for him to stay true to Jesus in this battle and to see the place where it all began in Bethlehem, the peace of God come to proclaiming the gospel. So again, thank you uh, for your participation with us. Now, let's, let's get back to the reality of peace. Peace was declared from God through the angels to the shepherds, to all the world, to all people. Goodwill on planet Earth. 
Thinking about Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the gospel. The good news is that peace is coming. That earth should be looking more and more like heaven. That's the prayer of the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. If you grew up Catholic, that's what, part of the prayer that Jesus taught us, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And so how does that happen? And what is our part in that? And to me, it all centers around one really simple but powerful word, and that's the word reconciliation or reconcile. You know, that word is defined as to bring in agreement or harmony. Well, how do you bring into agreement and harmony people that are at odds with each other, whether it's my family and my siblings who are not getting along right now, or it's, it's the Muslims and the Jews and the Christians living in one small country of Israel and all the conflict around the world. How does this actually happen? How do we come into an agreement or harmony? Well, the story of Christmas, if it's true, and by the way, I say if it's true, not because I'm not 100% fully committed to its truth, but I look at the story, and then sometimes I look at my life, and I say, I'm not living fully like it's true, like I really believe it. Because the story is incredible. The story that God, who made everything, would actually come with us, to be with us, come in the form he came, as a dependent, vulnerable baby, and grow up as a child, and grow into adulthood, and live 30 years among us before we even know he's really here. It was announced in Bethlehem, but... 30 years, he was working as a carpenter, living in a small little town of about 400 called Nazareth. And then he, then he comes forward, and for three years, he makes a proclamation about the kingdom of God that has come. And that proclamation eventually would lead to his death. Christianity was founded on Jesus, who when he was on the cross, suffering, being executed, his concern was not for himself, in his prayer, he said, Father, forgive them. Who is it them? The ones that just put him there. Which is why I say I don't live like I fully believe this story, that I fully embraced it, because I know how quickly I am to find fault, to criticize, to get angry, to reject, to walk away. My whole life has been filled with these kinds of moments. I can look in my past and see a trail of broken relationships that I'm partly responsible for. Where was, where was Jesus in that moment when I'm judging and walking away and becoming estranged? Where was Jesus in my life, the one who said, Father, forgive them, the ones who are hurting me right now, unjustly? So reconciliation, the hope for peace is found when we embrace the truth that Jesus showed in his incarnation, in his life, and in his death. That's what love looks like. That's the foundation of peace on earth. And it has three parts to it, three aspects. And I'm just going to go through this quickly. The first is, and this is all found in the gospel of, or I'm sorry, the book of 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about reconciliation. It's a great chapter. I would encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But the first thing, it, there's only peace if, first of all, we can be reconciled with God. Here's how Paul wrote it. He said that God was in Christ reconciling the world not counting people's sins against them. Just consider the enormity of this statement. Um, the church that we work with in New York City um, is all homeless, almost all homeless, um, addicted, broken people at the bottom of the barrel in society, pushed to the margin. They come in, and one of the things we talk about all the time is that when you heard the, hear the word God, what do you think? What words come to mind? And as we interact, it's consistently, he's angry, he's judgmental, he's gonna pay, I'm gonna have to pay for everything that I've done. Um, he's to be feared. He, we are to cower before God. And against that backdrop, we have this declaration from Paul that in Christ, God was reconciling. He's offering peace and harmony to us by not counting our sins against us. Can I live that way then? Well, that's the second thing. If that story is true and we are reconciled to God, and that's where it has to start, because I'm then the beneficiary of enormous love the recipient of enormous mercy and forgiveness. My sins are not being counted against me. If there's 10 or 10 million, it doesn't matter. I'm deeply loved by God in my brokenness, in my failure. And once I receive that, then, number two, I am to be an ambassador that invites others into that reconciling relationship. And that's what Nehad is attempting to do in Bethlehem. Paul says it this way. He says that all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the, the ministry of reconciliation. 
And that's the mantle of responsibility that God has given to every one of us who follow Jesus is now that you've been reconciled to God, go tell people about the opportunity for them to be reconciled with God. Now, if I'm an angry, bitter, critical person and a follower of Jesus and I go bring the message of reconciliation to people, they're not gonna listen to anything I say because my actions are speaking so much louder than my words. If they see what I post on Facebook or Twitter or they just, you know, however I act and conduct myself, that I'm not a man of peace then my message is not gonna be heard or taken seriously. It's gonna be ridiculed and rejected. So it begins with us being reconciled with God and embracing the enormity of what he's done for us and the love, and he's not counting my sins against me. So I wanna bring this to others. And if I'm a man of peace, if you're a man or woman of peace, then you can do that in your neighborhood. You can do it in the grocery store. You can do it in the parking lot of this church. You can do it wherever you would have a chance to take offense. You bring the message of reconciliation. I, I even hate saying this because it's such a lofty standard, but I should be unoffendable. Because my life does not offend God, ever. And I, if there was a reason to be offended, I, I, I have plenty of examples of that in my life, but God always meets me with grace and mercy. And, and that, you know, it's, a, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. His kindness overwhelms it, it should overwhelm us. So then we are able to bring this message of reconciliation to others, and it's got teeth in it, because it's real. I wanna be that kind of man that would say, Father, forgive them to someone who, whatever they're doing to me, my concern is not for myself, it's for them. It's such an extraordinary thing that we see in the incarnation story of God coming in humility the way he came and serving and allowing himself to be mistreated and then caring for the ones who mistreated him. That's the essence of Christianity. That's the message of the gospel. That's the good news. And when the angels declared peace on earth, God is bringing peace. This is the peace he was bringing, that I'm right with God because of his work, not because of anything I did. And now I wanna tell everybody else, by the way, in your brokenness and your failure and your shame and your past, whatever it is, that God is coming after you as well. And that's what Nehaut is doing in Bethlehem. He's proclaiming the beautiful news and all this tension and conflict there that God is for you. Be reconciled to God yourself. And then I think when this happens, we come to the conclusion of this, which is then we are able to seek reconciliation in our relationships and in our world. Paul, who wrote Corinthians, was one of the fiercest um, opponents to Christianity until he met Jesus. He was a Jew who hated Christians and was having them put to death. And he writes in Ephesians in this long passage, I just want you to let this sink in, what he's declaring. He says, Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. Who are the two groups he was talking about then, historically? Jew and Gentile. He made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier. My favorite fra phrase here, Jesus came to destroy the barriers that separate us. The dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away those are the Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, the Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You see all the unifying language here, the oneness here, the hostility's gone, the barriers are gone. His whole point was to bring us together into one humanity. And through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. This is our only hope for peace. When Jesus come, becomes the chief cornerstone of our lives and we bring this message to the world and we live it out through our actions and how we conduct ourselves, especially how we respond when we're treated badly. In fact, we, uh, we went to the sermon uh, where the Sermon on the Mount was preached. Uh, we think it was preached, looking over the Sea of Galilee and we had some time to reflect. And so I read the whole three chapters in Matthew that, are, that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And um, it's interesting uh, that Jesus said, and I'm going to uh, tell you in the back, I'm going to skip over a verse here. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit, for they will be called the children of God. Being a peacemaker reveals us to be sons and daughters of God. Why? Because we're acting like God our Father. Here's another uh, Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. He says, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back 
Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High God, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked, including me. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You know, when I'm, when I'm treated badly, especially if I know it's an injustice, I'm treated wrongly, first impulse is payback in some way. It could be a very direct payback. It could be passive-aggressive. Or maybe I might just withdraw and say, I'm not going to give you the time of day now. I'm just going to totally walk away. We have cancel culture. We, we talk about burning our bridges. Christians do. I have. And yet here we have the beautiful teaching of Jesus where he says, the peacemakers will be called the children of God because when we make peace, when we bring peace, we are acting like God. I went, I'm going through an Advent um, devotional right now, and um, I want to c- conclude um, the challenge today. This is a challenge for me when I read this. Um, uh, just bear with me as I read this uh, passage from this writer. He says, I have found peace and beauty. And he's been in Jerusalem, uh, in Bethlehem, rather, 20-some times, this writer. He says, I have found peace and beauty there, but I have also have found rubber bullets and tear gas canisters there. Situated on the fault line of the world's most intractable conflicts, Bethlehem lies at the intersection of iconic beauty and painful reality. The Christmas carol about Bethlehem says it right, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. If we can go back to that moment when the angels announced that Jesus was there and declared peace on earth and ask ourselves the question, do I want to be a man or woman of peace? I don't know how to solve all the conflicts in the world. Can I solve the conflicts around me? Even in my own family, can I turn a heart of grace and forgiveness? And if, even if the other party doesn't want to be reconciled, there's a verse in, two verses in the New Testament that says, as much as it lies within you, be at peace. You can't make someone else be at peace, but, but can I have a posture based on the beauty of the gospel, beauty of the incarnation, as a recipient of God's amazing love and grace, can I be a person of peace? He goes on to say this. Christ is not just born in the beautiful places of our lives, as if we live in an idyllic um, snow globe. Christ is also born in the war-torn places of our lives, littered with rubber bullets and tear gas canisters. Jesus was not born into a fairy tale, but into the world as it is. And so during Advent, we hold to Micah's ancient prophecy 700 years before Christ, this is what he said. He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be our peace. We're going to enter into a moment, um, another familiar uh, Christmas carol. This has long been my favorite. Because God came to be with us, and he's still here with us. But am I walking, are we walking in that reality? Because that's the hope for the world. Nehad said it really well. God is in the world, but he's only in the world through us. It's the only the world, the way the world can experience Emmanuel, God with us, is when God is in me and God is in you and we're walking in that light. And we are men and women of peace. We are truly sons and daughters of God because we're bringing peace into our world. And I would encourage you in these next moments to regard this um, hymn as a prayer. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Capture my heart more today. Help me to walk in that peace, to be known as a person of peace, to live in that peace, to spread that peace, to be an ambassador of peace, to be known for peace. And many of you here and and also online uh, with us today can think of pockets in your life right now where there's conflict and struggle. Would you just in these moments as we hear the words of this beautiful song, as we sing the words of this beautiful song, invite God to help you walk into these conflicts as a person of peace. That is my my own genuine prayer as I began with the story of my own family. That's the, the deep longing of my heart that God would bring that peace into my family. Jesus, thank you for coming to be with us. We know you are for us. Would you please step into the the pain of our life where there's broken relationship? Would you please make your presence more known in the world where there's conflict 
would you again show us yourself as the Prince of Peace in your name? Amen. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Thou moans and lonely exile here unto the Son of God of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, he man you will shall come to thee, O been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.